Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm your host, Alex Kuhn. Today, I will tell you about an organization fighting homelessness in the northern suburbs, another organization providing resources to refugees in the Chicagoland area, and last but not least, a group of people providing Valentine's Day boxes to girls around the city that will contain a teddy bear, candy, a manicure set, hair care products, a painting set, and more. We now welcome Betty Bogg, the CEO of Connections for the Homeless, to score values. Betty, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning, Alex. I'm great. How are you? We are doing great here, and we're delighted to have you. And, and why don't I give you the floor to tell us a little bit about the work that you guys do at uh, Connections for the Homeless? Sure. Thank you. So uh, Connections for the Homeless is an Evanston-based social service agency that provides whole continuum of services to people who are unhoused or unstably housed at risk of homelessness. And we are underpinned by an advocacy program where we work to change the system that are uh, causing homelessness in the first place. And the way we do our work is in three main areas. We work in eviction prevention through rental assistance and diversion funding. So if you're behind in your rent because you you know you got three people living in your house and everybody's working and one of them gets covid and you got to fix your car you can get behind in your rent pretty quickly so we can get you caught up or prevent and prevent your homelessness entirely which is certainly ideal for everyone prevents the trauma of homelessness it's expensive to end homelessness if you fall into the shelter system so that's our preferred uh, method of addressing the potential of being unhoused. We also provide shelter services. So if you do become unhoused, you know, you're not going to have a new apartment this afternoon. So you need a place to go where you can be safe and where we can find you if and when your new housing solution comes up. We also provide very basic services to people who are living on the street. So bag lunches, showers, clothing, case management, um, and all kinds of health services, both behavioral and mental health services, to people who are in the shelter or living on the street. We're delighted that over the pandemic, the sort of silver lining for us is we've been able to purchase a small hotel in Evanston where we deliver shelter services in a dignified manner to 
people who have become unhoused. We can serve up to 60 men, women, children, people of all household configurations in that shelter. And again, pro uh, providing them with a path to increased well-being, which will lead to their ability to maintain a housing solution once we find them. So, and our ultimate, of course, uh, objective for everyone is to find a housing solution. And so we work tirelessly with everyone who comes to the shelter to find them a permanent housing solution. So, and this can be, there are all kinds of paths to housing. You might be able to get a job and get market rate housing. You might need permanent housing with some deep supports forever. You might need a temporary rental subsidy. You, you might need a housing choice voucher. You might need to move in with your family in Texas. It just depends on people's individual circumstances. And the thing that prevents us from being able to house everyone, and we do run our own housing programs as well. We serve about 500 people in our housing programs. But the thing that prevents us from being able to do that efficiently is that there's not enough housing. And this is where our advocacy work comes in. We need housing for people that they can afford, that they can obtain, but we also just need more housing. There's a huge housing crisis in this country. We are behind some millions of units of housing. So even when people can't afford it, those units don't exist. And so we work with local and state municipalities to uh, address things that lead to difficulty in building new housing, basically, and can perpetuate inequities um, across the system. Betty, when I look at the page that you guys have on your website, uh, connecttohome.org, on the strategic <laughs> goals, goal number one is equity and anti-racism. It's not a coincidence yeah. that this is the number one goal as far as tackling the issue of homelessness, is it? It is not a coincidence. That was very deliberate. And, uh, you know, it's it can be really confusing and it can be very daunting to think about how we end homelessness. And when we look at people who are impacted by homelessness, it's often people who are sort of the most vulnerable, like maybe they have addiction issues, maybe they have untreated mental health issues. And we look at those folks and we think, you know, like if we just got rid of that issue that they're having, that that would be the answer for them. And certainly if you're impacted by those horrible situations, it helps you to have them treated, even so there's not enough housing. And so our work is all centered on ensuring that people at all levels have input into our decision-making, that our um, communities are served properly and equitably, that our board of directors is representative of the people that we're serving and the staff that are on with us doing this work. So there, uh, equity and inclusion, belonging is just uh, core to our, uh, our thinking as we move into the next phase of where this agency will be.
Betty Bogg, the CEO of Connections for the Homeless, joining me this morning on Score Values. And I want to get a little bit into the advocacy work and, and another uh, strategic goal that you guys have, and, and that's visibility and communication. I feel like most people out there recognize homelessness as an issue, but with as for so many issues in this country, there's not a lot of nuance to the discussion. Not a lot of people bring up solutions. How important is it for people like you out there to not only advocate as far as uh, policy with, with, with local and state governments, but also to get the message out there that there are possible solutions for this crisis? Yeah, that is, that's what gets me out of bed every day, Alex, because, you know, it, this work can be really hard and it can be discouraging and we lose people. And then we also have these amazing stories of healing and hope, right? And what I know for sure is there are solutions to homelessness. We have to choose to implement those solutions. So I see this um, as a sort of like a long-term community education project, right, um, where we're talking about the true causes of homelessness uh, and talking about what those solutions can be. We see it working for us every day. Eighty percent of the people that come to stay at our shelter, the Margarita Inn in Evanston, exit to a housing solution. So we know that this is possible, given the right supports. You mentioned some success stories. Were, were there any you'd like to share with us? Oh, there's there's so many. Um, I, you know, recently we've been we've been talking about this uh, gentleman who stays now at the Margarita Inn, and he came to us because he was being discharged from a nursing home where he did not require nursing home level of care, but he has congestive heart failure. He probably needs a left ventricular replacement. He, he needs a heart transplant, actually. But he was going to come off the heart transplant list because he did not have stable housing. So literally, he was going to die if he didn't find housing. And so he came to us at the Margarita Inn. And right now, we're we're really excited because we're developing a partnership with Endeavor Health. We were a recipient of a very generous two-year grant from them to develop a medical respite program. Medical respite is where people are able to, who would not otherwise be able to recover at home. Like, so if you or I got a hip transplant, we go home in 24 hours and we'd be fine. We'd recover at home. But if you don't have a home, you can't recover from that. If you or I needed a heart transplant, we would get on the transplant list, but this gentleman was not going to get on the transplant list. He is now under the care of our medical director, Dr. Keith Boyd. He's preparing for the surgeries that he's going to need, and he's preparing to find a housing solution. So everybody's story is different. I have hundreds, literally hundreds of stories. Not all of them are that dramatic, you know, but um, many are like, it's, they're just amazing. It's just amazing work. I'm, we're so lucky to be in this. I'm so lucky to work for this organization where we see the impact of our work on a daily basis. That is a great story. Thank you for sharing it, Betty. Um, you guys have an event coming up on Tuesday, February 13th at the Margarita Inn, correct? 
We do. We have an open house um, from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Margarita Inn. If you'd like to come and see this beautiful old boutique hotel and kind of see what we're doing there, it's amazing. We also have another event coming up in March. March 14th is our Inspire Luncheon, where we are going to be featuring Dr. Andre Perry. He's a fellow at the Brookings Institute who does research on the impact of appraisals and the lowering of appraisals of Black-owned property and how that impacts generational wealth for the Black community. It's really exciting. We're, it's going to be a great luncheon. We're going to have um, a panel led by Robin Ruth Simmons, who's our board member and a leader in the reparations movement. So both of those uh, come to beautiful Evanston, eat at a delightful restaurant, and uh, come and see us and join us at one of those events. Betty, okay, so a couple of things as far as your website. Say somebody is is need, needing help and is is going through housing insecurity. Where where, where can they find help? So our organization is a network of organizations, and we work in North Suburban Cook County. If that's your geographic sort of basis, then you can call our main number, which is 847-475-7070. We'll call you back and figure out how we can kind of get you into the fold and into the pipeline. We also run two drop-in centers, so if someone is actually homeless and needs to take a shower, get a bag lunch, you know, uh, some clothes. We have two drop-in centers. One is near downtown Evanston at 1458 Chicago Avenue. It's called Hilda's Place. And we have one in the fifth ward of Evanston, which is our historically black underserved community at 2121 Dewey in Evanston. That is our main office as well. My second question for you is what type of volunteer opportunities do you have? How can people get involved? Oh, my gosh, this is one of the things that I love most about Connection. We have so many volunteer opportunities. So that can be anywhere from you and your kids make 25, like, bag lunches and drop them off at our one of our sites. And we give up, I think, 75, 100 bag lunches every day. You don't even have to come in, really. We'll just take your bag lunches and send them out. And you could do it with your three-year-old. We have um, lots of opportunities for things like clothing drives and food drives. So if you're doing something at work or your faith community is doing a drive, we're always happy to coordinate with you to get clothing and food. And then if you really are uh, want to get kind of hands-on, we have volunteer opportunities in our drop-ins. You can help our uh, visitors come and navigate through the food pantry. You can help them try on a new pair of pants or shoes. So we have all kinds of volunteer opportunities at Connection. Betty, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you, Alex. It was a pleasure. We now welcome Connor Motner, the founder and strategic director for Chicago Refugee Coalition. Connor, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning, Alex. Doing well. Thank you for having me. We are delighted to have you. And I'll just open the with, with this. Tell us a little bit about Chicago Refugee Coalition, otherwise known as CRC. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so the Chicago Refugee Coalition is a 501c3 nonprofit that I actually started back in 2018 in response to a, a couple life buckets, as I like to put it, the personal, the professional, and the academic. Um, so 
On the personal front, I, I like to describe my family as a big, loud East Coast Jewish family. And uh, my grandparents, uh, my grandfather actually was a uh, refugee from Czechoslovakia during World War II. Uh, he and his family uh, had to leave the country actually um, about 12 hours before Hitler ended up sealing the border. And they ended up taking asylum in the UK where they uh, stayed for the duration of the war. And that was a story that was pretty central to uh, my familial my familial experience growing up, and uh, kind of links into the larger Jewish Jewish diaspora. Um, so, on the professional side, before starting CRC, I was actually a staffer with the U.S. Senate, and I worked there from 2015 to 2018. And my area was immigration and Department of State Affairs. Um, and honestly, working in that space and you know interfacing with constituents who you know, often were in pretty dire straits and, you know, they would come to me, explain their case. And unfortunately, I, there was very little, if anything, I was able to do. And I didn't like feeling that way. It was a really crummy feeling uh, just, you know, having someone who was in very clear need and not being able to, to come to their aid. It was just a terrible feeling. So um, I did what any young, plucky congressional staffer does. I went off to graduate school and uh, took my master's in public policy and public administration at Northwestern and uh, finished that degree up in June 2018, the same month that I actually started CRC. So it was kind of a combination of these factors that uh, led me to, to launch this organization. And more specifically, the broader uh, mission of the organization is to identify the systemic service gaps in the resettlement space. And uh, we're, because we're totally privately supported, marshal private resources there, meet the, meet the participant where they are, and then tailor services to meet their unique needs. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all fits all solution. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, you mentioned the systemic uh, issues involved, and, and yes, n not one size fits all, but are there certain commonalities or pillars that a lot of refugees face once they're, they're, they're trying to either gain asylum or, or make it here in, in, in the Chicagoland area? So uh, the biggest issue that a lot of people run into as new arrivals is access to safe and affordable housing that is just probably one of the most chronic issues. And the reason being is that there's no credit history, there's no verifiable income because they're new arrivals, and there's very little guarantee that the landlord will be able to uh, basically collect on, on rent, and that puts them in a very uh, precarious position. And people by nature are risk averse, you know? So um, as a result, there's very few landlords who are willing to actually rent out property to, to new arrivals. So there's a huge, huge uh, just uh, crunch in that space. I would say that's probably the biggest one. Um, the second one is, of course, language acquisition. But thankfully, we live in a city that has so many, uh, so many uh, supports for, for new arrivals and just really anyone who uh, is not a native English speaker. So, um, you know, language acquisition is uh, thankfully something that is pretty well resourced here. Um, access to um, employment and then uh, finally childcare are some of the major issues that we've seen crop up um, that new arrivals have to navigate, often with very little support. Yeah, I was going to also ask you, obviously, this is a, a, a big topic here in the city. A lot of new arrivals have, have uh, been making their way to Chicago since 2022. How has CRC been a part of welcoming uh, these new arrivals? 
Absolutely. So uh, let me just, uh, you know, first clarify the uh, new arrivals that we're seeing from um, that are being bussed up or flown up from the southern border uh, are, are not actually refugees right. in the in the way that we, uh, you know, by, by clear definitions. And that makes um, sense. And a lot of people use the term pretty loosely or synonymously with like an asylum seeker and, you know, immigrant or what have you. But um, so I wanted just to take a second to make that distinction. Um, so with that said, our organization had a mandate that was specifically focused on the refugee community, meaning that you were brought to this country uh, through the UNHCR. Uh, the State Department did a ton of vetting and you were placed with a resettlement agency. The initial structure of our programming was designed to basically pick up where these resettlement agencies leave off um, to ease the uh, integration process and, you know, provide a longer runway. Um, and when we started seeing busloads of people arriving, uh, it was around the time of our Q3 board meeting. And Elisa, um, who is our executive director, and I went to our board of directors and explained what we saw happening and uh, basically, you know, Gained gained permission of sorts, or we're, we're provided a mandate to effectively expand our our scope of services to be more of an emergency response support. So we have a network of coalition partners that um, we um, help with supply drives. Uh, we run supply drives ourselves. Our biggest partner in um, you know securing. Uh, basic products for new arrivals has been Lurie's Children's Hospital. They've been an amazing partner to work with. And we uh, have dispatched volunteers to uh, welcome people at the bus terminals, at the landing zones, uh, help uh, with intake at police stations. We have uh, provided hygiene products, clothing. We ran a really robust coat drive this year. Uh, we took in almost 2,000 coats and uh, distributed just as many. So it, it has been a, a process of pivoting into a space that is, uh, you know, not in the original design of the organization, but nonetheless something that is so important and so necessary during this time. Connor Mautner, the founder and strategic director for Chicago Refugee Coalition, joins me this morning on Score Values. Can you tell us a little bit about your ongoing uh, migrant relief supply drive and, and how people can donate to it or, or what type of donations you take in? Absolutely. So we have a comprehensive list of items that are always in demand, um, and that is available on our website, chicagorefugee.org. Um, and we are also running a ongoing uh, digital digital giving drive, uh, just an Amazon wish list in partnership with Lori's Children's Hospital. And that's pretty standardized um, in terms of things that are in constant need. Um, so there are links on our website that will take people there. Um, the list is constantly updated and um, we just, uh, you know, people can place an order online. It's shipped to us directly and then we take it from there and make sure that it gets to uh, the right end user um, in a timely fashion, of course. So there are tons of opportunities to get involved. There's also our um, growing volunteer base that we invite anyone who is interested in supporting new arrivals to join. Um, that information is on our website as well. Um, and we now actually have a volunteer base of almost 1,000 people. I believe it's um, well over 900 as of this morning. And it's, it's just really incredible seeing the outpouring of support of uh, just our fellow Chicagoans, you know? Absolutely. We live in an amazing city. <laughs> yes, we do. What type of volunteer opportunities do you offer? 
absolutely. So we always need support at our resource center. We we operate a really cool resource center that's actually integrated directly into Sullivan High School up in Rogers Park. And for those who don't know, Sullivan is affectionately known as Refugee High. And it has the highest concentration of refugees out of any school in uh, CPS. Uh, nearly 40 languages are spoken on campus. Students hail here from all over the world. It's kind of a microcosm of the world in one spot. It's, it's really, really cool. Um, so we're always looking for, for support at our resource center. We're always welcoming people to uh, run individual uh, drives for on our behalf. Um, you know, many hands make light work. Uh, there are opportunities to help with college applications. You know, many of these, uh, many of the refugees we work with are young people, and they need help navigating basic things like how do I write a resume? How do I apply for college? How do I file my FAFSA? All of these small things that are, um, you know, pretty common to us here in the United States are, are brand new to them. So uh, we, we basically have to start from square one and, and build up from there. So um, there's, there's opportunities to basically get involved with that line of work and um, not only do something good for the community and, um, you know, really creating a space that is welcoming, but also getting to know um, some really, really great people as well along the way. So um, our door is always open. Connor Mautner, the founder and strategic director for Chicago Refugee Coalition. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks, Alex. Have a good one. Thank you. We now welcome Jamila Tremiel, the founder and CEO of Ladies of Virtue to Score Values. Jamila, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, we're excited to have a representative from the Ladies of Virtue. It's the second time here on Score Values. And I remember back in November, we had your your program director, director Kenya Mercer, on the program. You guys were were gathering goods, taking in donations for Love Day, and that's coming up. You guys are busy. Tell everybody about what you guys have coming up for your annual Love Day. Yes. So our Love Day is in honor of and celebration of Black History Month and Valentine's Day. So this is an opportunity where we're sharing with black girls and we're telling black girls, we see you, we hear you, and we love you. And as part of that, we are distributing 700 love boxes to 700 girls across the city on Love Day, which is February 10th. We're kicking it off for the rest of the month. On February 10th, we're coming to distribute boxes uh, to girls in the community. And then throughout the month, we're distributing those boxes to girls in the schools. Jamila, what inspired you to create uh, Ladies of Virtue? Yeah, so growing up on the South Side, my dad, he used to always say, you are an African girl. You can do anything you put your mind to. Uh, and, you know, I was a young person, right? I was a kid, and I took my parents for granted. I thought all of my friends had parents who were pouring into them like mine were. And I saw at a very early age that that was just not the case. Um, some of my friends took a downward turn, and I realized at that point that positive role models can literally change the trajectory of your life. Uh, so I became a mentor as a sophomore in college. I went to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, started mentoring as a sophomore. I have not looked back since. I've been mentoring for over 20 years now. Uh, but that's why I give back, and this was truly a life calling for me. Yeah, I was going to ask you, can you begin to explain the level of pride that and 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 how rewarding it is to work with girls 
from when they're nine years old all the way up until they're a senior in high school, then see them go to college and still mentor them just to see the growth and, and, and successes that, that comes with the mentorship that, that you guys offer. Absolutely. And I I was just, I had a team meeting yesterday and we were reflecting on this very same thing. Uh, I've talked about one of our mentees, Jalea, who started our program at around 10, 11 years old. Now she's a sophomore in college. But when she started Ladies of Virtue, she cried every single session. When we took her to career explorations and they called upon her to speak and ask a question, she cried and she would have to leave the room. Now Jalea is owning the room, right? She's having her internships. She's joined a business um, sorority and just doing all of these things. And I just look back at how she started and, to, and now how she you know, is and how she's flourishing right now as a sophomore in college. Uh, we also have Deidre, who started off as one of our very first or one of our six girls in our program as a senior in high school. And now she has a PhD and she credits that PhD um, for wanting to get a PhD through her mentor who at the time was in a doctoral program. And so, you know, as I think about all of the girls that we've seen from the beginning, you know, as a very early age to now you look back or now you look and they're, you know, eight years older, 10 years older, and those shy girls are now flourishing in school and so, or even post-secondary, even after graduation as well. So it it truly is a blessing to see that we have a small piece in um, encouraging our girls to become who they truly were meant to be. Jamelia, one more time, what you guys have in store for for Love Day and and, uh, uh, basically these care packages that are going to go out to 700 girls in the Chicagoland area. Yes. So come on out, donate or volunteer. Help us pack these love boxes that include not only black history facts, but there's a teddy bear that says you are beautiful. There are there's candy, there's hair care products. These are all these things to show girls that we're thinking about them during this black history month. Come out, volunteer or donate. Truly appreciate um, any efforts or anything that you can provide. And that volunteering is on uh, Saturday at at, uh, Carter G. Woodson School, correct? Absolutely. So it's February 10th um, from at 11 o'clock at Carter G. Woodson School. And then one other thing that I will highlight is the address, which is 4414 South Evans. Perfect. Jamila, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Best of luck on on, on Love Day, and we, we appreciate everything you do for our community. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Truly appreciate you. That's going to do it for another edition of Score Values. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of our show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalue670 at gmail.com. I'm Alex Kuhn. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.